This podcast is available in video at fpcgolfport.org and fpcgolfport on YouTube. If you have a copy of God's Word with you this morning, I invite you to turn with me to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 4. Now, personally, I've been on several boats in my lifetime. And I've went on several deep sea fishing trips as well, and most of which were pretty enjoyable. Actually, it's something I really like to do. But there's one trip that really sticks out to me that was not so fun. I was about 10 years old in Panama City Beach, and my parents and I were going to go out on this night fishing trip, which, you know, night, okay, it probably will be okay. But there started to be these rumors that there was a storm coming. Now, we were assured that's okay because the storm is not coming until tomorrow, right? We will be fine. And okay, I was encouraged, all right, the captain says it's going to be fine. Of course, this is how he makes his money. So, of course, he's going to say that it's going to be fine unless we cancel. But as we approach the boat that night, there really start to set in some dread and fear as it was the one captain, one guy, and what looked like a bass fishing boat. And my mom is still traumatized to the day, but nevertheless, we still went out. She said, you know, there's the barrier islands as you go out. She thought, if I could just jump off and swim, they can pick me up on their way back, or maybe somebody can come and get me. You know, just the waves that rocked the whole time. We were in the middle of the ocean at night in a tuna can, basically, you know, tuna fish can. But we had a cooler full of food and snacks. Didn't touch that. Nope. Barely could drink water. Worst part is probably we barely caught very many fish either, which was kind of the point of going. And eventually the captain started to get squirrely as well. And he said, you know what, we better go in. Yes, that is a great idea. Let's go back. So despite some maybe emotional scarring, we were fine. I think my mom has mostly recovered. Of course, this was 20 years ago. But you asked her today, and I don't think she's been back on a fishing trip. But you know, seas and storms... They really aren't anything to mess with, are they? They can cause some serious peril. It makes you feel so small and powerless when you're on a boat being rocked by the seas. I've had the privilege of ministering here in Gulfport, but also in New Orleans. And as you know, two areas that were very impacted by Hurricane Katrina. Even though that was 18 years ago, still, you can still feel and see its effects. And so you know the destruction that the sea, the storms can cause. And I think if we think about some of that, we can get a sense of some of the fear that the disciples had in our text in Mark chapter 4. Let me ask you if you're able to stand as we read Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4, verses 35 through 41. On that day when evening had come, he said to them, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him, and a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. He said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Amen. You may be seated. Well, in this passage, I think we see three crises. 
Okay, we see first we see a crisis at sea, a crisis of faith, and finally a crisis of identity. Or we might be able to say an identity crisis. Well, the passage picks up after Jesus has had a long day of teaching and ministering. And Jesus, he left the crowds and he said in verse 35, let us go across to the other side. There he's going to reach out to the Gentiles. And know that's where he heals the demoniac who was possessed by legion. Now, perhaps he needs a break from the crowds. I mean, obviously he's tired because as soon as he gets in the boat, he goes to sleep. So they left the crowds behind by taking a boat across the Sea of Galilee. Now to give a little perspective of what we're thinking about, a similar boat discovered in that time was about 27 feet long by 15 foot wide and could hold 15 people. That's likely around what their boat was like. And we also see that there are other boats with them in the sea. Now notice that this passage also says that they traveled during the evening, which seems weird to us maybe at Brings fear to me thinking about being in a boat at night. But anyway, this was really common practice. They crossed the Sea of Galilee during the night because this was the safest time to pass without harsh seas. So this was not uncommon. Now the Sea of Galilee is no small lake or sea either. It's 13 miles long by 8 miles wide. That's roughly the size of Washington, D.C. Now it's also 700 feet below sea level. That makes it the lowest freshwater lake in the world, and the second lowest lake in the world, the lowest being the Dead Sea. And while the sea is low, it's surrounded by a cliff-lined valley, and in a certain way makes a type of bowl. And what happens is the warm air coming off the sea collides with the cold air coming off the cliffs, and that gives you everything you need for a storm. Specifically, they're called squalls. I don't know why, but it's fun to say These were quite notorious, and they would seemingly come out of nowhere. And even in modern times, they've reported about 10-foot waves there, and you can see some of those online. So pretty serious, especially when you're thinking about a first-century boat. Well, Jesus and His disciples, they're on the way across the sea when we have our problem arise. We don't know how long they were out there, but this storm pops up. They don't have phones where they can check the radar. They don't know what's coming. Not that that really helps all the time, it seems. But anyway, we have a crisis at sea. And this is no ordinary storm. At least four of these men are experienced fishermen and sailors. Yet, how do they respond? They think they're going to die. They say, we are perishing. Right? The water is already swamping the boat. They are in danger of sinking in the middle of the sea. Now, a lot of us, we probably tapped into that fear of the sea in, in small places this week, didn't we? When we, we heard the news about the missing submersible. And that occurred just a week after news broke about a boat that was carrying hundreds of migrants that was lost at sea off the coast of Greece. So two were tragedies, and we're certainly praying for those families that lost loved ones. But when we think about that, when we think about what they must have experienced, there's this sense of dread that we think about, of being lost at sea. It makes us cringe. I think this is one of the reasons that in the Bible, the sea is a picture of wrath and of destruction. Right? The sea is uncertain. The sea takes No prisoners, it leaves no room for error. In fact, Revelation 21 tells us that in the new creation that the sea was no more. 
Well, what's the point of that? Well, it's telling us that because there is no wrath or destruction for God's people in the new creation, there's no wrath or destruction, so the sea was no more. Well, this crisis is happening, and the disciples, they're terrified, right? We understand their position, but where is Jesus? Where is Jesus? Look at verse 38. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? So he's asleep on a cushion. And it's in the stern, because it would be too easy to say he was in the back of the boat. So he is in the stern, right? He's perfectly at rest, right? The seeming tragedy on the horizon, it's already here. Water is flowing in, and he's asleep. Why? Well, obviously he's tired from ministry, right? When we see this regularly, he has to remove himself. He's ministering. He is a man. He does get tired. But he also had trust in God, didn't he? He trusted God. David said this in Psalm 3, 5 through 6, As I lay down and slept, I woke again, for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. So Jesus' rest, in a sense, it's embodying his trust in God's sovereign hand. Jesus isn't worried about the storm. He has peace. And there is a sense where that's true, believers. We can have peace in situations because we know that our Father cares for us. doesn't mean we won't be afraid at times. But we can have peace. Jesus had peace. Now, in response to this awful storm, what did they cry out? They said to Jesus, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Now, we're not there, but I think it's very unlikely that they sent one guy to go over and say, Excuse me, Jesus, I see that you're having a nice rest here. Do you not care we're perishing? Would you mind getting up for a second and fixing this? No, that's not at all what was happening. It's a frenzy. Jesus, do you not care we're drowning? Well, other gospel accounts show us that there's multiple responses. There's lots that's being said. Matthew, it says, save us, Lord, we are perishing. Luke says, master, master, we are perishing. In my mind, there's lots of things being said. Mark is a little different. Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? It's almost a rebuke of our Lord, isn't it? And coming from Mark, perhaps these are the words of Peter. It probably would fit, wouldn't it? It sounds like something Peter might say. But the disciples, their fear, it's, it's outweighing their confidence in Jesus. They're with Jesus. They're safe. But they are afraid. And we do say they're right to go to Jesus, but the way in which they're responding, there's fear. And this is really a common response when we face trials, isn't it? God, do you not care that I'm dying out here? Of course He cares. We know that He cares. We have to say He cares. But it doesn't always feel like it. And we know that not a single hair can fall from our heads apart from His permission. All things work together for God's plan, right? Yes, we know that. We're good Presbyterians. But sometimes it feels like God's asleep in the back of the boat. So we find ourselves like the disciples where these circumstances, these trials, has caused this crisis of faith. And we're asking God, where are you? Perhaps even questioning the goodness and care of God. Well, how does our Lord respond? Mark 4, 39-40. And He awoke... 
and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. He said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? So Jesus woke up, he rebuked the wind, and he spoke to the sea, and it listened. And it listened. The storm was no more. Right? By his very word, he brought this impending doom, certain death, to a halt. The great storm went from a raging sea, right? The waves are coming, the storm is swelling, the wind is there, and by his word, the sea just becomes like glass. It was like Biloxi Beach this weekend. Not a wave in sight, right? Just like glass. I find it interesting that he spoke to the sea. Because I don't know about you, but I don't like spend a lot of time going talking to the sea. Maybe walking by it, driving by it a lot. I don't talk to it very much. Seas don't have ears. How is it going to hear, right? Well, Calvin said this. He said he spoke to the sea, not that the lake had any perception. Yeah, I got that but to show that the power of His voice reached the elements which were devoid of feeling. There's such power in the Word of Jesus that even the lake has to respond. Even the storm has to respond. What power Jesus has. What glory, what majesty comes from the One who can speak to the sea and it listens to Him. It says, peace be still. More literally, He said, be muzzled. It was utterly silence. It had no choice but to stop. This is the same language that Jesus uses during some of his exorcisms, interestingly enough, when he's casting out demons. See, the authority of Jesus, he has authority over nature, he has authority over demons, he has authority in his teaching, authority to heal sickness, authority to forgive sins. There's an authority in the word of Jesus and the power of Jesus like no other. Who else can do this? What praise should we give the one who can control nature by their very word? By his very word. Well, his rebuke of the wind wasn't his only rebuke, was it? He rebuked the disciples, didn't he? Look at his words in verse 40. He said, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? So what began as this crisis at sea is really revealed a crisis of faith. They doubted God's care. But we also see, if you think about it, they also doubted God's word, didn't they? The very first verse, verse 35, what did Jesus say? He said, let us go across to the other side. He didn't say, let us go to the middle of the sea and die and drown. He said, we're going to the other side. Jesus had determined that they were going to go, but this this storm, this tempest, had, had so rocked them that they're like, well, maybe we're not going to the other side. You know, we trust Jesus for salvation, but we also exercise faith every single day. We live by faith that God is true to His Word and is faithful to take care of us. And the disciples, their lack of faith, that prevented them from seeing this crisis, this scenario, which was not good, but they couldn't see it with confidence in God. And the same thing can happen to us. But we should think, if our God has this power, we ought to trust Him. We ought to trust His promises. We ought to trust His Word. We shouldn't live on our own understanding. Yes, we are all going to struggle, but we can live by faith understanding that God's sovereign hand is there even in the midst of these struggles and trials. He has control even 
in the storm. Well, how do the disciples respond to all that's going on? Verse 41 says, And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Now notice that word great, okay? It's actually used three times in the passage. If you look with me, now this is the original word, uh, this is the word where we get our English word mega, okay? So if you verse 37, there's a mega windstorm. Verse 39, there's a mega calm. And then verse 41, they are filled with mega fear. Great storm, great calm, and great fear. So Jesus, He calmed the storm, but He stirred up the disciples. He stirred them up. Because, I mean, they're now in a boat in the middle of the sea with a guy who just told the storm to be quiet. Who is this guy? And they have a fear which is greater than any fear they experienced when they were in the storm. Now, if you've read this passage before, it's a familiar passage. If you've heard it taught before, this is how it's usually applied. Jesus calmed the storm so Jesus can calm the storms in your life. Now, is that true? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it is true. He can calm the storms in our life. But I don't think that's the main point. Because, I mean, he also had a plan for the storm. And he has plans for the storms in our life, doesn't he? We want God to bring us ease, to bring us peace, to answer our prayers in our way. And we think, well, this is somewhere where we can get something, but that's not at all what happened here. The disciples, they're not left in peace, but in fear, in awe. And it was the plan of Jesus to use this storm, this this crisis, to reveal their faith. Because the storm certainly didn't take Jesus by surprise. God ordains all things. So he used the storm to show these weaknesses in the disciples' faith that they didn't even know were there. It makes us think, do we trust God during trials, crises? I say storms. Are we trusting God in those times? Because that's where our faith really gets tested. It shows us. It's a pressure cooker. It's a refiner. It shows us where our faith is. And so in those times, we should see that our God is in control. Even if it seems that life is going to overwhelm us, we can rest in Him. Well, we've seen a crisis at sea, a crisis of faith, and finally, there's a crisis of identity. And that's very simply, they say, who then is this? We forget sometimes that the disciples didn't have it all figured out. They're coming to an understanding of who Jesus is. They don't have it all figured out. Their wheels are turning. Now, obviously, this is a man. They're following this man. But we see some ways in which he's a man, right? I mean, he's asleep. What's more evident of our human frailty that we have to lay down for seven or eight hours and sleep and do nothing, right? It's humanity. If you have little kids, three hours, but whatever. But we sleep. Jesus slept. He ate. He was born of Mary. He grew from a child into a man. So he's certainly a man, but he's someone greater. He's much more. He just calmed the storm and they're asking, who can this be? Now, we know that He's the eternal Son of God. The one who through all things were made, even the wind and the sea were made. He's not a mere creature, but the Creator. Now, imagine, just try and think, what what may have been going through the disciples' minds as they're coming to this realization. I think of this. Maybe they thought, God is the one who parted the Red Sea. 
and allowed his people to safely pass through while destroying Pharaoh's army and the enemies of God. That was God who did that. Uh Uh-oh, who's this? Maybe this is God. They likely knew our call to worship this morning, which came from Psalm 89, 5-11. I'm going to read it, but if you want to look at it with me, it's on page 2 of the bulletin. It says this, And the heavens will praise your wonders, O Lord, your faithfulness also in the assembly of the saints. For who in the heavens can be compared to the Lord? Who among the sons of the mighty can be likened to the Lord? God is greatly to be feared in the assembly of the saints and to be held in reverence by all those around Him. O Lord God of hosts, who is mighty like You, O Lord? Your faithfulness also surrounds You. You rule the raging of the sea. When its waves rise, You still them. You've broken Rahab in pieces as one who is slain. You have scattered your enemies with your mighty arm. The heavens are yours. The earth also is yours. The world in all its fullness, you have founded them. So perhaps they're saying, well, obviously it's God who calms the storm and the seas. We see many other psalms and verses that point us to this. But what we see is this man, Jesus, is doing that which is only to be ascribed to God. Who then is this man? He's the God-man. He's Christ Jesus. He is the Lord of glory. Now, this is actually a really key point of theology because without it, there was no chance of being saved, right? We would all be lost. God is perfect, but God can't die. After the fall, common men can die, but they're not perfect and sinless. And it's only Jesus who is truly God and truly man who could be the perfect substitute, who could actually die for our sins, to be truly God, truly man. So on the cross, He could actually take all the sins of believers upon Himself, our past, present, future sins, all our sins upon ourselves. So by faith, we can receive His righteousness. But that can only happen if Jesus is who He says He is. Perhaps rushing through their minds was the book of Jonah. Elder Kelly read chapter 1 from Jonah in our Old Testament reading this morning, and I think the similarities are pretty striking. When Jonah fled from God on a ship to Tarshish, what happened? This great storm arose, and it threatened the life of experienced sailors. Right? You know it's a bad storm when the person who's supposed to have it all together is saying, we've got a problem. And they thought what? They thought they were going to perish. And where was Jonah? Jonah's asleep. And when Jonah was thrown overboard, what happened? The sea ceased from its raging. Jonah calmed the sea with his life. And when the sea calmed, how did the pagan sailors respond? Jonah 1.16, Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly. And they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. They feared God. They were in awe of God. They came in contact with His power. But what's actually more striking with Jonah and Jesus is the differences. Jonah's fleeing God, right? He's running from God. But Jesus, he is perfectly in the center of God's plan, perfectly in God's will. He's actually on his way to you know, exercise a demon, to reach out to the Gentiles. And Jonah hated the Gentiles. Jesus loved them. Jonah slept for the wrong reasons. Jonah slept because he just didn't care. He didn't care about his life. He didn't care about anybody else's life. Jesus slept because he was trusting in God. 
Jonah calmed the storm by being tossed overboard. And Jesus, he just spoke to the sea and it was quiet. Matthew 12, 41 is true, which says, Behold, something greater than Jonah is here. And that's certainly true. Jesus is greater than Jonah. So witnessing this event, possibly making some of these connections, I'd like to think. How did the disciples respond? Were they excited? Did they jump for joy? Did they say, we knew you had our back the whole time, Jesus. We, we just knew that this is what was going to happen. No, they were afraid. They were awestruck. They were just like Moses and Isaiah and the sailors. When, when they came in contact with the power and glory of God, they feared. They were afraid with a holy reverence, even an uncertainty, because there is none like him. They'd never seen anything like this. Well, I want to return to the disciples' question in verse 38, because I think it really stands out to me the most. And they say this, they say, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And to this we say, yes, we know he does. He saved the disciples, he even proved that he did. But see, even in the storm, The disciples never actually were drowning, they were being redeemed. All things come together for even their salvation. Now Jonah, of course, he was in the belly of the fish for three days. But see, Jesus was crucified and was in the belly of the earth for three days and rose again and ascended to heaven. That's how much he cared that they were perishing. More than just calming that storm, he was going to give their life so that they would be saved, so that they would not perish, so that all who would believe would be found in Christ and be saved. And believer, you have confidence that God cares for you and loves you because He sent His very Son to die for you. If you don't have that confidence, believe today. Don't wait. You know, the disciples, they never, they never actually were in any danger after all, were they? It seemed like it. Every, every sense they had was telling me, this is not good, this ship is going down. But they were actually in the safest place that anyone could be. They were with Jesus. Where could you be that is safer than with Jesus? They were safe with Jesus. You know that's true for us as well. Believe it, you're safe with Jesus. You know, it may look like everything's crashing in, but if you're with Jesus, you're safe. Church, you're safe with Jesus. Trials, tribulation, death comes. But you have security in the arms of your Savior. We're safe with Jesus. This is what Jesus tells us in John 10, 27-30. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. I don't know what you're all going through. I don't know what you're going to go through. But you're safe with Jesus. I don't know what the church may go through in your lifetime. I don't know what us as a body, as a church may go through. But we're safe with Jesus. We're safe and secure with our Lord. Well, as we close, this is the question that I think we all must answer. Who then is this? What do you do with Jesus? How do you answer that question? Is He a man? Is He a great teacher? 
He's someone, he has something a little bit to do with my life. I think I get some good advice by him. No. No, no, no. Even the wind and the sea obey him. He's so much more. He's our Savior. He's our Lord. He's our Master. He's able to receive and forgive any who come to him. He's willing to receive and forgive. So believe. Believe. Trust the Lord Jesus. Even the wind and the seas obey him. And this Jesus, this very same Jesus, is the one who came and died for our sins. Let's pray. If you'd like to check out additional recordings or videos by Dr. Toby Holt, please visit our website at fpcgulfport.org. And if you're on the Gulf Coast, come join us at 10 a.m. Sundays at First Presbyterian Church of Gulfport, Mississippi.